0: welcome to the GNT show
1: all right welcome everyone to the next episode of days of the NRL the GNT podcast I'm once again joined by my host with the most a man who thankfully today has found out that he won't be on the jury. He was on jury duty today, and, and he got off. He was going to be on the Canterbury-Bankstown case, so thank God that he's not on that now. Gee, how are you?
0: <laughs> Pretty good. Um, A, a good result today. Um, a little bit like um, some of the defence in the second half. It didn't. T- um, the people scheduled to appear in court didn't turn up. So it turned out... Okay. So they were obviously watching the NRL on the weekend. <laughs> I think so. They just thought, you know what, we're not turning up either, so... The court attendant got po- um, attendance got postponed, so um, I've com- finished my jury duty, which is great.
1: Oh, sorry for those of you out there that were actually wondering what the case was. Uh, G was well, oh, that's right. G was the defendant, <laughs> the bulldog's the, EGM, the, the dealmaker, <laughs> defendant,
0: the, the dealmaker.
1: Sir, is this your real name? By deed poll, G Dealmaker. <laughs> So before we get to the semis, before we get to week one of the finals,
0: I can't wait for that. By the way,
1: it's it was another round of G football, right? There was no defence played. But before we get to that, it was another massive week outside of outside of uh, the games themselves. The Sam Burgess story. Who needs home and away? Well, I think this is better than home and away. I think this is, and it's a, and it's a it's been running since 1908, so it's a lot longer too. To it's <laughs> It's the world's longest running uh, miniseries. So it's. A- that's so almost as old as Alf Stewart, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, okay, just checking. Struth, what about the Sam Burgess story? Shocking, absolutely shocking. It was shocking in terms of the detail. I mean, the, the Jessica O'Halloran and Shari Markson and the, the the people that broke it from The Australian, they did an amazing job of investigative journalism. And in some ways it doesn't surprise me that, that there's there's been so many cover-ups and those types of things. But, but to the extent that this happened, I mean... You've been in that car park in um, Souths Juniors, so you'd know where all the cameras are.
0: <laughs> Me? Yeah. I actually didn't realise South Juniors had a car park. <laughs> it used to be it used to be where they used to have the Kingsford Markets, you remember? <laughs> That's what I thought the car park was. And out the front where the um, tram line is, pro- I suppose, proposed to run. But You seem to know a lot about the area. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've frequented that a fair bit. I think, like you said, it's the extent of the cover-up. I think... You know, bar his conduct, I mean, his personal WhatsApp messages, you know, other than just sort of laughing at some of the, you know, flirtatious behavior between him and whoever the, the person he was having an affair with, but that's kind of not necessary. But um, some shocking allegations, you know, and you sort of feel for his family and his partner, but it's the extent of the cover-up is pretty bad. Like, you're talking about allegations. If it's true. If it's true. If it's true, allegations of fake prescriptions and you know all sorts of stuff and it just and i think if it is true i think what is frustrating is because it's sam burgess there's going to be that perception that because it's sam burgess it was all hush hush and probably everybody knew about it i think that's what people will take away whereas you know you've got some other players that i suppose don't have the same background support by most of the media which it's weird saying that considering the media broke the story but you know, those allegations would have probably been out a long time before. So there's going to be that perception and that undercurrent of um, bias because it was Sam Burgess It was hushed up for so long. And let's not forget there were rumours about Andrew Johns for a long time. You know, um, well, which, and
1: a lot of the, a lot of those rumors he admitted to in his autobiography,
0: right? Correct. So he kind of came out and said, "Yeah, this is what happened." And then a lot of people I know that you know used to follow the football, like, "Oh, yeah, we knew about this ages ago. Everybody knows about it." So that was interesting to get that perception. So then you always wonder, well, why do they pick certain players, you know, and release some of their personal information, and why don't they with others? And I suppose it's just profile. You know, he's he's a star of the game, it's slamming Sam. You know, he's on Fo- He was on Fox. He's all over the news, you know. Um, so I guess it's one of those things. It's, it's terrible. It's, it's just a horrible situation in many respects.
1: We'll watch with bated breath to see what happens there with uh, Sam, the Sammy Burgess story. As Wayne Bennett said, it did not affect the team in any way, shape or form. And Wayne Bennett was proven right by their performance on the weekend. Moving on to another story outside of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Blues and the Queensland teams are getting drip fed. Uh, some notable, yep. two notable, well, three notable emissions from the blue from the Blues and Queensland team. Josh Maguire got dropped by Wayne Bennett for the Queensland team. They're doing a real. I mean, actually, if you look at that Queensland team on paper, typical New South Wales. We've written them off, but if you look at it, they've got young, hungry players there. You know, they're going, that game's that Origin game's going to be closer than people think. Um, on the New South Wales side, David Clemmer and Wade Graham missed
0: out. Not surprised. David Clemmer was an abomination on the weekend. Well, not only
1: that, I just think I just think the game's changed with the six again rule. You actually need people who can eat up yardage, but also have skill that they can give you something different. Yes. And David Clemmer's game was perfect under the old rules, but it was very one dimensional. He doesn't have an offload. He doesn't have a step. He can't really pass the ball. Um, I don't think he's that quick. I mean, if I compare him against the Junior Paulo, Junior Paulo brings much more to the table. Than, than just what David Clemmer brings, and if you're if you're only going to pick four props, then Taki Iho, Junior Paulo, Josh Papali a Queenslander, obviously, but Fisher Harris, Regan Campbell, Gillard, like they've all that they, all those people are ahead of David Clemmer, right?
0: I would say so. The the interesting thing is, um, I think Junior Paulo takes a lot off the table as well. The size you, mean, you mean at the dinner table
1: is what you mean? <laughs> yeah,
0: at the dinner table, Cameron Smith's dinner table, remember? But um, junior, junior Paul, I, I agree, with. You. he's very explosive and very quick. I'm with you. David Clemmer's not as explosive. He's very one-dimensional. The strange thing is, and I know it's under 20, so it's hard to judge, but if you go back and look at him in the under 20s for the Bulldogs, he actually had quite a bit of a passing game, and that got, I don't know if it's coached out of him. So now he looks very, he's very one-dimensional, and you know, you're not going to charge over four players anymore. Certainly
1: not an origin. Speaking of people who like to take things off the dinner table... I was watching Super League highlights. <laughs> I was watching Super League yes. highlights. And Sam Cassiano, I think, made an 80-meter break for Hull in the Super League. And and he showed a bit of toe. So, like most of the Bulldogs recruiting and and retention program, he has hit new heights since he's left the Dogs.
0: Was this um, Melbourne Sam Cassiano or Bulldogs KFC Sam Cassiano? Or I should say m j Chickens. Can I give them a plug? This plus? was
1: definitely, well, for as long as they're a sponsor. It sounds like they're not going to be a sponsor <laughs> yeah. much longer. But- Definitely Melbourne Sam Cassiano, as opposed to okay,
0: all right. You know, you know
1: who else is kicked up? Andrew Fafita. We're going to talk <laughs> about him. Andrew Fafita is in the is in the queue at KFC. He's, and he's three meters from the counter, and he's thinking six nuggets. He takes one more step as the next person gets sold served, and he's thinking two piece feed. And by the time Andrew Fifita gets to the counter, he's ordering a bucket. I think COVID has an injuries and not being able to train properly. has really played with a lot of players' weights.
0: It, it has. And I will say, look, Fifita has always kind of been a little bit like that. He he did come through with the Tigers. And I was shocked that the Tigers let him go because he was the one guy a long time ago that you could see athletically had something different to a lot of the forwards in the NRL. He was big, incredibly naturally strong, cat-quick um, and explosive and skillful, but he was always carrying that little bit of weight. And there was always there was a lot of rumors as to the Tigers letting go because of his training attitude, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, you know what it's like, T. You know, when you're younger, you can sort of carry some of those extra kilos. And now with COVID and everything else, and you know, Andrew Fed has been an amazing player. But you're getting older, you have to be in a lot better physical condition, and you know, prepare yourself a lot better. I mean, you look at LeBron James in the NBA; he's uh, incredible but it's because he just spends so much time prepping and looking after his body that even at 35 yes he's not as explosive as he used to be but he can still athletically handle most of
1: well, i agree i agree with that but i also think there's a physical toll in rugby league
0: oh yeah yeah a very big very <laughs> a very big
1: one and you you are a little bit like the andrew Fafita of this podcast aren't you you're certainly not the lebron james of this podcast <laughs> you're more the andrew
0: for I am bald and do have a beard. Yeah, correct. So I'll, I'll, I'm going for the LeBron James look instead. If
1: LeBron James was half his height and twice as wide.
0: I can't. I don't think I'm going to get Muggsy
1: Bogues that. after retirement. <laughs> <laughs> another another piece of news that caught my eye this week and over the last couple of days, um, Kevin Walters. Now, Kevin Walters has come out. He gave all the interviews. It was interesting. I, I, I read Paul Kent's article today in the Daily Telly and he said how Kevin Walters had to organise his own media tour. The club didn't organise it for him. It's really odd that the club is in this much disarray. This is the this is the club that's meant to be the, the showpiece of the league. The other thing is he mentioned how Matt Lodge, he was the leader of the group and he'd led them astray during the year and all this sort of stuff in Paul Kent's article. And I just wonder Is he an easy target though, Matt Lodge? Was Anthony Seabold thinking with in Matt Lodge's background that this would be make good leadership material? I mean, what are, what are these people thinking when they make these decisions? We didn't see the Matt Lodge thing coming. I mean, I mean, what?
0: I guess he felt like he was very proactive in taking things that he wanted. So, uh, maybe that's I mean, something. my God. Go out there and take this win, guys.
1: I mean, the more you hear about the Broncos and what went on there this year, the more it was a shambles. We're also getting to the time of the year, G, where the judiciary and injuries play a real role in who, gets, who, who, who goes on to, to win the premiership. And fortunately, despite your COVID diet and injury to both your hamstrings and groin, you've been able to make it on the podcast today. But how has <laughs> been suspended. I just got an email alert saying how has been suspended. Did you see how many weeks he got? I think one week. One, one week. Are you doing any research for this show at all? Of course I am. So you just got a you got a week. Yep, you got a one match ban. So if they make the grand final, he'll be playing for them. That's a big out. They're gonna have Capewell play on that edge. I think in the in the prelim in the grand final qualifier but um he doesn't bring the same things to the table that Vilemi Kikau brings on that left
0: edge and, and we'll talk we'll talk about this when we break down the game against the Roosters but I'll I'll speak as to why he doesn't but Capor has been very impressive he has
1: but the different player
0: it is a very different player
1: you know Cam Munster Cam Smith Cam Smith of course got off he just took an early plea
0: and he can play again of course of course he did he did miss a grand final in, look, 2008, so he has been punished before, but yeah.
1: Nia Corey got two weeks. Chris Randall, I think, got a couple of weeks as well. Um, these are for the crusher tackles. They're really coming down on them. Um, Cam Munster and Blake Ferguson. Uh, well, Cam Munster, and it looks like he's done his MCL in his knee. Now, if that's the case, because Mike Acevo did the same injury and they ruled him out for the season... Cam Munster, they're saying Cam Munster, they're saying is going to be back in two weeks. If Cam Munster doesn't play, I, I I think it's very difficult for them to win the win the comp.
0: Is he is he seeing LeBron James's doctor?
1: Yeah, maybe they're sending him to Germany to spin the blood. Remember that with <laughs> yeah. Kobe.
0: Well, oh yeah, with Kobe, that's what Josh Dugan had platelet um, enrichment therapy.
1: And and Blake Ferguson, of course, has been named this week for Parramatta, but is in but is in real doubt for the game. So. If,
0: I would say so. I don't think he's going I've to I've got a lot it.
1: to say about the Parramatta's right edge when
0: we get there. Wonga Blake doesn't have anything to Oh, do don't get he? me started. It's too early. <laughs> it's too early for me
1: to get started on Wonga Blake. Um, my, my observations before we move into the games, right? There was no defence played at all. It was the G round all over again. There was forty tries in four games. Remember last week we were saying in the semi-finals the games get tighter and the games come towards the teams that are a bit more defensive. So once again we're totally off off
0: off the mark. But yeah, okay. We
1: underplayed the the role that the new ruck rule and the six against playing in the comp.
0: I, I do agree with you in regard to the speed. I do think that the top four games there were elements of poor defense, but there was there was a lot of great defense. I think sometimes there's a little bit of it was at times a matchup issue too. I think Penrith and the Roosters the, the matchups aided Penrith that way. But with the other two games, like Souths, Knights, um, Sharks, Canberra, I mean, some of the defense was just. I thought horrible. the defense
1: was poor in all the games. I mean. I mean, Panthers Roosters was close, and we're going to talk about that. But it, but it, but it had no right to be close, right? Brent Naden's brain fade at the end made the game closer than what it should have been. The teams that started well all got run down. Roosters were up ten nil. Sharks were up 14-6, Parramatta were up twelve nil, and the Knights were up ten nil. So they came out of the blocks really fired up, um, but they just couldn't. They just couldn't keep that momentum up. And I'm going to talk a lot about momentum when we get to the games because increasingly because of the six again rule when you start to get downhill and this is where the Panthers are amazing when you start to get a few back-to-back sets and a penalty and things like that it is really hard in the modern game to arrest momentum back off the opponent that's something we saw three out of the four games weren't close the scoreline in the Panthers Roosters game I thought flattered the Roosters a little bit I've got a question for you before we get on to the to the games and then the preview of the Week 2 of this finals Is this the football we want to see? Are we sure this is the football we want to see? I mean I, I didn't The last round 20 and this week I, I'm not sure they were great games
0: Some of it I would answer yes Because I think some of the games And some of the attacking play was fantastic It was a little bit more I think of initiative taken By some of the, the attacking sides Or in attack Rather than settling they, they tried to attack any space That they sort of had Uh, Parra did that quite well for a while, but some of the defense at times, you could see they're aiding, I think, the offense or the attack a little bit too much. They're doing everything to help teams score tries, but I feel like it's come at the expense of skillful tries. They're trying to make the tries easier to score, but without really having to tactically outplay the opposition and... You know, offload and support and challenge the defensive line with skill. Like the seventh tackle, seventh tackle sets. I absolutely hate that rule. It's a terrible rule. It's a very for for no purpose. I understand if you're gonna if you want to stop a ball from going dead, drop your wingers back. If that's that's a great you know attacking ploy from a team looking for a deep kick, and then if you drop your wingers back, you create a little bit of space on the field. So I think they're trying to make it a little bit too easy. I agree with you, but. Some of the football was poor, but I think some of it was quite good too at the same time because the fatigues brought a little bit more space back I, into I the I think game. there's a happy
1: medium we got to find. I think this this 29-28, this 48-16, I don't know the stats offhand, but at the end of the season, I think someone like an Andrew Ferguson from the Rugby League Project or someone like that, I'm sure will do the stats on whether this season had the biggest blowouts. Because I suspect, uh, without having any facts in front of me, my feeling is that we had more blowouts this year than any other year.
0: seems you know in the past, you go back probably 10 years and then always had two or three teams that were really, really poor, that the good teams would flog by 50 or 60 and they would get towed up a fair bit. But in the last few years where the, I guess the teams have condensed a lot more, other than you know the top four, which is always kind of streets ahead, but everyone else is almost like for like, the games haven't really been massive blowouts but this year now that you mention i think there's been a lot of teams that have scored 42 points or 44 but on a regular basis even though they've been quite ordinary you know like you look at the tigers playing manly they're you know from 9th to 13th and they're blowing teams around them out which is usually not the I case. I reckon
1: some of it's momentum. I think I think teams get on a roll and it's hard to get it back. Like in the old days, you could tighten the game, but that's not doesn't seem to be happening. I, look, it's still early. It's too early to call whether the rules are working or not. And I do agree. You need this is going to bring back the little man. But I think we're probably until the coaches adjust to this rule. I think we're probably in for this year. And, well, there's not much left of this season, but certainly next year, I think the football is going to be very open as well. And tip, typical of rugby league towards the end of next year. Uh, the NRL or or Daily Telegraph or the SMH or Fairfax are going to get their back up and say, it's too open, we've lost the game. Let's hope that doesn't happen, huh?
0: That's probably what will happen. Same with the um, referees cracking down, if you remember, a couple of years ago where I thought, despite the number of penalties, I thought the game, the variety of the attacks was a lot better because teams had the options of going both sides of the ruck and you didn't have teams cheating massively on one side and then essentially referees too scared to blow a penalty essentially limiting your attack to one side of the field and once they were so scared of you know even encroaching a little bit it opened up the field a lot more but halfway through the season like you said everyone started complaining there were there were too many penalties and they shut that down
1: okay moving along to our review of week one of the finals uh, first up on the Thursday, no, the Friday night was the Panthers versus the Roosters. Panthers got up 29-28. Nathan Cleary and Jerome Luai were absolutely fantastic and they have just been brilliant. Penrith completed 36 out of 38 sets. They didn't even make mistakes to give the Roosters a chance. I thought it was Boyd Cordner's best game all year and Angus Crichton continued his good form. The Roosters did start really well and went up 10-0. And then momentum shifted when Morris got bundled into tr- into touch because if they had gone up 16-0 at that point, somehow managed to get a try and a conversion, I think the game would have been different. But they were able to hold that off and then just got on a roll. Pan- the Panthers scored five unanswered tries. The Roosters fought back, but the, the game actually looked closer because of Brent Nathan's brain fade at the-, at the end. Otherwise, I thought it was a comfortable win for the Roosters. The Roosters made too many errors in the first half. I've got a couple of points to, uh, around around the Penrith team and the and the um, the play of the ball, but but what did you see in this game?
0: A similar thing, like I think once Penrith, you know, we did speak about their inexperience and their youth in general across the board, and I think they, were, I wouldn't say they were overly nervous, but I think the Roosters got off to a a fast start. It was finals football. I think it took them a while to adjust. I mean, if I look at the first, the Roosters had a great start. If I look at the first try, it was simply just. Nothing special, but Josh Morris sort of barged past Naden and To'o trying to measure up, and they didn't quite mark up, and from there on in, even though the Roosters had the ball, Lusick's trial was also just a you know great determination, but I felt that whenever they spread the ball and sort of made a few inroads, Penrith always had numbers in defence when they were sliding across, so I felt... I never felt like the Roosters were going to score. If that makes sense, like, no, I agree. I agree. But if they'd gone
1: in, if they'd gone in at that point at sixteen nil, it's a different game.
0: I agree with you there. I think sixteen, you kind of start to go, oh, well, maybe you know, and you, it might change their mentality a little bit. But once Penrith settled, let's be honest, they kind of blew them away.
1: They really did. I agree with that. I mean, the Roosters didn't help themselves in the first half, and, and, and they really did come back in the second half. But I do think the Panthers have taken their foot off the pedal by that point too.
0: I, I do. I agree with you on that one. Um, I thought that, you know, because they were always there in numbers, I thought Fisher-Harris was sensational. And those inside forwards, they close up a lot of that space. And if you look at some of Penrith's tries, like the Roosters scored that one for, from Joshua Morris. The first try was just a bad read. It wasn't anything special. It was a barge over, you know, welcome to the semis, Pen- Penrith. Um, and you had that try where fifty people fumbled it, and somehow Josh Morris thought he'd put his hand on the ball, and ended up being a try. And Lusick barged over about five or six people. Penrith's tries were totally different. They were concocted with strategy, hands, skill, like kick out. The first try to Mansell, they used kick. kick out. Came from deep and hooked around and drew the defence and passed. He doesn't usually do that. So you can see the players get sucked in, and then he gave the ball to Mansell pretty quick. I did like Mansell's dive, though. I think he's officially an old-school Italian goalkeeper. The first try, he could have just stepped over the line and put the ball down, and he dived over. You remember the Italian goalkeepers where the ball would be right next to them, and they'd dive and catch the ball, make it really flashy?
1: You know who, you know who used to do a bit of that? Luca Marcagiani.
0: Oh, yeah, for Lazio. <laughs> yeah, there were a few of them. You know, a bit of showmanship. Wow, we're showing our age with that reference. We are. Oh, my God, that reference was... That's really old. That's like... Tw- Even Gigi Buffon's, like, almost as old as my dad. <laughs> what are you,
1: am I doing this podcast with a 13-year-old, am I?
0: <laughs> and I just thought, Luai... He's a good player. He's a great player, and you can see the defence has to hang off him. The inside defence... And I think a great example for that try was um, the grubber to Cleary, and Cleary was in everything. Oh,
1: Cle- Nathan Cleary was amazing. I told this is his breakout season. I mean, he keeps going like this. The un- premier player in the game at the moment. Can I can I say something about Jerome Luai? They're not they're not directing enough traffic at him. He's not tired. If I was if I was the opposition coach, I would niggle him. And I would run at him. I would get my big boppers to constantly run at him. He hasn't gone through the workload. You know, I, I don't think they've quite worked him out yet. I think he's a great player. But I, I, I do also think he's he's playing in front of a forward pack that, that's getting on top of the opposition.
0: That's an interesting point. So do you think it's because they're so focused on possibly running traffic at Cleary that they sort of leave Luai alone? Whereas...
1: I think Cleary's the better tackler. I think Cleary's the better tackler. But where, where Jerome Luai defends in the defensive line,
0: he is. He's definitely the better better tackler.
1: Where Jerome Luai defends in the defensive line, I think he's got big bodies either side of him that help him out, and they're not caught out. They're not isolated the way Mitchell Moses is on the right side, or, or Jamal Fogarty. He's not having to make one on one tackles. That's that's the difference. So because their defense is really well drilled, but I also think they just they just got to direct traffic at him, like like. You know, just just wear him out a little bit. It's too it's too it's too much downhill. It
0: is, And he has, he does slip off the odd tackle because he's a slight. Yeah, that's right. That's kid. right. You know, he's not huge or anything like that. But he just the stuff he adds. I mean, the grubber to Cleary was great. Cleary's pickup was fantastic. The try to um, Cleary the third one before half time. I think that said a lot. Where I was watching Luai shift across the field, and you could see the defense hesitate. Right, you could see Tupinua... Have to hang He just he just gives him that hesitation right. Which opens up the space Tupinua had to wait He was waiting for him to step back inside Ball in both Yeah, hands. ball in both hands And he's thinking, okay So he slowed off Flanagan shifted across Because he thought And he sped past Flanagan then Manu thought This guy's going to run And Manu came out And Crichton cut back on the inside And it just opened up a massive hole Because Tupinua had to hang Well, back. It's,
1: it's what we said earlier in the season, right? So Api Corasau does this Nathan Cleary does this And, and Ger- Jerome Luai does this they're, they're, they're ball players at the line and the ball's in both hands. So you don't, they don't telegraph what they're going to do early. Whereas Mitchell, Mitchell Moses and some of these other halves telegraph it earlier, right? And so because they're decision-making, it's the benefit of youth, right? Because they're decision-making so last minute and because they're, they're, the way they're carrying the ball, they could do a few different things. It's not easy, it's, it's not easy for the defence to commit.
0: I think when the Roosters are so well-drilled, Sometimes that hesitation just throws them out just enough. And Penrith have got the pace to, do, to break them apart. And what I also saw from this game, T, was that Penrith match up very well with the Roosters. They are almost like a younger, faster, more athletic version of the Roosters. Because the Roosters have got some age on them, right? But they've got the big bopper. Can I
1: tell you why? Yeah, no, go ahead. Yep, sure. And this was my point around the play of the ball. Uh, the Roosters had a slower play of the ball than the Panthers. Now, I cannot remember the last time that happened to a Roosters team.
0: Probably whenever they've matched up with Melbourne in the past, but that would be just about it. Really. I don't know, I'm
1: not even sure they, they had a slower play of the ball than Melbourne. So what that showed me was that the, the, the Panthers are matching up because they're meeting them in the ruck. They're slowing teams down just as much as the Roosters are. So you know how we said different teams defend differently? If the Roosters have a slower play of the ball than a team as equally talented as them, they'll lose. It's as simple as that. The Roosters are trying to slow for their defence because they, if they can slow the player down, their defence gets set. They're impossible to break the line on, right?
0: And that that was Melbourne's wrestling secret. No, so Melbourne
1: was different. Melbourne was wrestling to keep the player up. Melbourne was wrestling to keep the player up, turn them on their back. So it's a different type of type of wrestle. So. They, they do less of that, the Roosters, and it's more on-the-ground stuff, yeah? So, because because when they slow the play of the ball down, their defence gets set, and, and, you know, teams can only score 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 points on them, and they've got enough points to come in over the top. But if they, if the team is actually having a quick play of the ball, and Panthers had a quicker play of the ball than the Roosters, and the Roosters are slow, that turns it right on its head, it makes it harder for the Roosters to score and harder for their defence to set. So that play of the ball in the ruck area is huge for the Roosters, because it's the way they defend. Now, Parramatta doesn't defend that way, but and then their play-the-ball speed shows that. But, you know, that's that for the Roosters, the ruck is where the game's won and lost in a lot of these. It's the, I think it's the secret to getting over the top of the Roosters. And they've got the talent right to take advantage of it,
0: yeah. They do, and I think with Penrith, though, like you say, if Penrith gets an equal play-the-ball speed, I don't think they have the... Speed to match it. Like Penrith has really tall centers that are both incredibly fast and skillful, and they've got really quick, powerful wingers. You know, they've got the height in Crichton and Naden. Their wingers aren't as tall, but they've got massively tall centers. But then they've got both halves can step and beat the line, and then you've got Kickout, who's a monster on one edge. You've got Yo, who's really athletic. They match up power for power. Yo- Yo's
1: been sensational. Yeah.
0: Yeah, your own, um, sorry, Hargraves and Tamo, but they've also got Fisher Harris, who is like Takiyaho. Incredible motor, speedy, enthusiastic, but big and very, you know, athletic. Like, they match up very well with the Roosters. So, I just, I thought, I'm with you, I thought the Panthers, bar that settling in period at the beginning, they just, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they were kind of too good. Too good.
1: So, it got me thinking about why the Panthers are so good, and it got me thinking about their development. And it got me thinking about the 2015, the Holden Cup it was called back then, grand final team. Now, it got me thinking about how they brought these players through. Now, I want to go through the 2015 Panthers grand final team. I know
0: this team, yep. Brent Naden's in... Brent Naden's
1: fullback and captain. So I think he'll actually be the long-term fullback because I think he's a better fullback than Dylan Edwards long-term.
0: And T, how long did it take him? This is also scouting from other teams. How long did it take him to officially fully break through the Panthers team? A long time, right? But 2015,
1: it takes five years to go from under-20s to to being a proper first grader, right? So Brent Naden at fullback. Fuumanu Fuumanu, NSA as a winger. Robert Jennings was centre. Marlico Fellino. Is the other centre Dylan Edwards. The halves were Tyrone May and Jerome Luai. The props were Oliver Clark and Moses Leota. Sonny Luke was the hooker. James Fisher Harris and Corey harawira Ira were the back rowers.
0: Back rowers, right? So James Fisher Harris is the rangy back rower who's actually now a prop because the game's sped up.
1: And Reed Izard was the the lock. So that was the starting 13 for the Panthers. And and I reckon five or six of those have come through and become really solid first grade superstars, right? And that was a good team. But five years, it took five years to get to this point. A bit of patience. The reason why I'm raising this, this is the hope for the teams that aren't the Broncos because they can go out and buy whoever they like. But the Canterbury's, the North Queensland's, the, the like look at that. It took five years. That's the time frame. If you can get a good crop of youngsters, keep them in your club, keep them together and give them five years to develop. Cameron Sheraldo was the coach, and he's still an assistant coach at the Panthers.
0: A lot of other teams de- don't didn't have that mentality, right? They'd buy somebody, and then they'd have to perform, or they'd throw young guys into the, the team, and if they didn't perform after a year or two, they'd get punted. And I think Penrith has shown a lot of patience with these guys, because a lot of them are 22, 23. And I think Phil Gould has probably played a part in that, because if you remember, he said a lot of the time when you go from Holden Cup, or whatever it was called, Toyota Cup or, you know, in my sense, it would be a Renault Cup. You know, when you go from there and you get older than 20, where do you go? So Penrith seems to have found that balance now, of bringing some of these guys through after the age of 20, but without necessarily being ready for first That's grade. right.
1: That's, and that's that's the secret development source. The team of the season for the Holden Cup that year was Tom Trabojevic at fullback, Gideon Gellermosby, Jordan Drew, Addison Dimitriou, Joey Manu on the wing for the Roosters. Tamar that some of these because it's team of the year, some of these have been picked out of position. Tamare Martin from the West Tigers at the time. Yeah. Um, Ashley Taylor from the Broncos. The forward look at the forwards in the 2015 Holden Cup. Vilami Kikau was a prop. Jaden Burrell, Joe Offahengawi, Cohen Hess, Tavita Pangai, and Jay Arrow.
0: They all went to the Broncos pretty much, didn't well, they? Well Tavita Pangai
1: was at the Raiders. Cohen Hess was at Cowboys. Yeah, they were basically all Queenslanders in the, in the... The interchange was Latrell Mitchell, Brent Naden, Daniel Levi, who's just been let go by the Manley. Actually, he might be a good pick-up for you guys at Hooker. If Jeremy Marshall King doesn't want to run the ball, I think Jeremy Marshall King's okay when he runs the ball. But anyway, and Jaden and Nicarima, whose career went off the rails, but it looks like he's going to be given a chance next year at the Warriors again.
0: So, and look, that's an example, right? You look at Ash Taylor, people have been saying, oh, you know, he hasn't been playing well for two or three years. He was only in the under-20s five years ago. That's not that long ago. Right? So it's a little bit of... You need to have a little bit of patience, I think, with some of these players, but it's like every sport around the world now. It's like youngsters are expected to perform straight away. You know, the Premier League, you follow the Premier League, the NBA, you get a draft pick, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, this guy's crap, and he's 19. You know, people used to get drafted when they're 23. In the
1: NBA, the fact that you've got so many 18- and 19-year-olds running around is why the regular season's so crap.
0: It is, correct <laughs> it's like a training ground it's like a training
1: ground right these it, it's it's like it's like a college for these kids for for the first 3 if they're still learning how to play in the NBA
0: and i th- i think that there's an element of that sometimes in the NRL is that i mean Penrose seems to have got the balance right but in general when you've had a lot of young players it takes them a season or two to adjust it's not easy you need veterans around to help guide some of them through.
1: The Roosters through to the grand final qualifier. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Penrith into the grand final qualifier and the Roosters through to play Canberra, which brings me to the first game on the Friday, on the Saturday, Super Saturday, or as we've dubbed it the last few weeks, the not-so-super Saturday. The Raiders versus the Sharks, 32-20. Raiders got up.
0: I think this one, T, was just Saturday. It was just... One game was not-so-super and one was... Correct. So it balanced out Saturday. I didn't enjoy
1: the Storm Eagles game either, so... The Raiders only completed 30 out of 44 sets. The Sharks jumped out to a 14-6 lead. Now, the controversial try, once Jack White and got that try, they went on with it. They scored five unanswered tries. The golfing
0: class was clear. It was apparent, yeah, but that was a bullshit bullshit. No, try. I
1: don't think so. Bullshit, I disagree. And I, because it's a discretionary decision. It's a discretionary decision. In the rules, it's clear you can't challenge that. And you've got to be outside the 10 metres to take the quick tap. So... Jack White knew the rules and Wade Graham didn't. And Jack White shouldn't be penalised because Wade Graham doesn't know the rules. And the fact that he immediately screamed challenged meant all his defenders turned their back on the play.
0: I think all your points are very valid, but I do think this whole challenge thing is probably confusing. No. I don't think you're wrong. I just think the whole way it's been done, like, I would imagine that they would have stopped that. Some some referees would have stopped it and t- taken the challenge. Well,
1: so that's right. So the inconsistency of application is the issue here. Not the. Not, I don't begrudge Jack White. Look, Jack White was clever. He knew the rules and he did what they needed to do. Wade Graham didn't.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I just, yeah, for me, I just felt sorry for them because I think it's confusing all around. Even if they're the rules, he had to explain the rules to Wade Graham, so which means that. The concept of what the challenge is is inconsistently applied. But- I, th- I
1: think I think a lot of the problem is a lot of these players, from what I understand, don't watch footy outside of their own games.
0: They don't. They don't.
1: So they don't pick up the rules. Yeah, they don't pick up the rules. They're not. They're not understanding or like they're just. they just. It's a job. They rock up. They do what they have to do, and then they go. I mean, that was the issue there, right? Um. And once the momentum started going the Raiders' way, I mean, it was impossible, for, particularly for, for the Sharks without Sean Johnson, to be able to, to get that back. They missed a lot of tackles in the second half. I did feel sorry for Wade Graham when he threw that intercept to George Williams out on the left, and George Williams went the length of the field. For Canberra, Jack White and George Williams were fantastic, but Joey Tapanay, fantastic performance. He was great, and he's been good all year. Uh, for the Sharks... Chad Townsend kept trying and Katoa was good but you know I think they went out with a huff and a puff in the end
0: they did I I, look for me the Tarpane try at the beginning was actually a sign of things to come and it sort of encapsulated the Sharks a fair bit throughout the season in that there was four or five people committed to make a tackle but some of them were just you know terrible efforts and Hamlin Ueli again defensively was terrible And it was just too easy to bust tackles in the semi-final. There's four or five people hanging off you. You know, I mean, they're all falling off. I thought the Sharks started off pretty well, and they gave it a good shot. They did.
1: But fitness as well. This is another team. The Sharks' fitness is not great.
0: It was a bit of an arm wrestle for a while, like you said, after the Raiders scored. But I did see elements of Rapaner and Kotrick defensively were drawn out by Connor Tracy a few times.
1: So I, I said this a few times, right? Like during the regular season, the, the right edge of Canberra can be gotten to.
0: Look, I was a fan of Rapaner in attack in the centres. I think it does make the Raiders a little bit sharper. But defensively, he's not as, um, he's a little bit more impulsive, I think, when he's in the centre and it can cause a few problems. I
1: think the I think the Roosters are going to miss Latrell on that left edge against them. I think so. If they had if they if they had Latrell in the left center against those two, you know, he was the game breaker in the grand final last year and I think he could make a difference again. Well,
0: Morris doesn't have the same passing skill and also Rapana is a fair fairly big unit too, so he matches up size-wise with Josh a fair bit. But you know, I thought you know, Canberra wasn't quite in the game like they they were there And they were struggling.
1: Canberra played terrible. I didn't think Canberra played that well. They just got momentum and scored and then put the queue in the rack and the game was over.
0: You know, it's a bit of a pattern with Canberra. Against some of these crappier teams, you know, i look at the game against... um, There was a few games, even against the Broncos, the Bulldogs. I went through that period, you know, where they won quite a few games. They didn't really start off well in any of those games. And like you said, then they got a bit of momentum and then blew the teams away. But their starts are an issue. And I think the Sharks... Did take advantage of it a little bit, but if you're playing against the Roosters or the Storm or someone like that, and you start off with that kind of footy, you're going to get blown. It's going to be 20 nil before you know it, you know. So, and I do think the George Williams intercept was huge because I think that sometimes, you know, some of these teams, like you say, they start off well and they're not as good. The golfing class that you mentioned earlier, sometimes they then get a little bit of belief that they can win, and you want to, you want to you know, put that down before they get a little bit too big for their boots during the game. And I think that that intercept was huge. Um, and Do
1: yourself, if you want to know how huge it was, go look at the replay from the tri- from the end of the field camera. So the the camera that looks downfield and look at Wade Graham's reaction in the background. Yeah, the Sharks had it. the
0: numbers. He was, he was... He was
1: he was devastated.
0: You know, on the attack, they're going to halftime. They're ahead by, you know, 14, 14 points, 8-point lead. It's very different being down 14-10 and you're like, okay, we can finish over the top of these guys. But again, Whiten, I think, took the game away. I mean, Williams and Whiten stole the game from the Sharks and got Canberra on a roll. And then, like you said, after the infringement, their heads went down with that penalty and Canberra just blew them away after that. And the Sharks just sort of, I wouldn't say gave up, but you know they lost their any spark they had. But what do you take out of this game if you're Canberra? We need to start quicker because... There was a clear golfing class, and once Canberra got the ball and a bit of momentum, they kind of put them away.
1: I, in my opinion, all the winners were flawed this week. I mean, the only, the only the only team I think came out of this with any credit. This weekend was, was the Panthers I mean, the, all the other win winners showed vulnerability
0: Yeah, I think that's my takeaway We'll probably talk away, talk about that a bit later Previewing the next round But for me, Penrith just looks If they play at anywhere near their best I don't think anybody can beat them But
1: And I think the Raiders now They're in the tough part of they the draw, right?
0: De- definitely Definitely the tough part of the draw
1: so the Raiders are the problem for the Raiders is they're now in the tough part of the draw, right? They got the Roosters they're in very Melbourne hard on that side. The
0: draw, to be honest. Well, I mean, but they'll deserve
1: it if they make the grand final. and They got the grand final uh, replay from last year on this. They've got to earn it
0: if they make it. But again, it was Whiten, right? Poor start. Williams takes the intercept and then Whiten two tries and then a, an assist for. An assist for Williams, and before you know it, instead of being 14-6, it's 28-14, game over.
1: Moving on to the last game of Super Saturday, or not-so-Super Saturday, it was Wonga Blake, 36, the Eels, 24. Um, Wonga Blake was assisted by the Melbourne Storm.
0: Hey, I just want to let you know that I was chatting to Brinko Lee throughout the week, and I just said to him, hey, look, I think T's been bagging you and giving you crap for a number of weeks now. You need to have it. I've been giving Wonga Blake
1: grief as well, in fairness.
0: Rico Lee was was great.
1: We moved Wonga Blake before Micah Sivo got injured. We moved we moved Michael Jennings. We swapped Michael Jennings and Wonga Blake. It was a backline reshuffle because he was terrible.
0: <laughs> Sorry,
1: it's what it's what Sorry. Craig Bellamy did. Yeah, remember for the for the storm a few weeks ago when he when he got. When he reshuffled the back line because Branko Lee couldn't make a tackle. Wonga Blake is terrible in defence, and the problem is these teams are so good at attacking. They just they're just playing on that right edge of Parramatta. It was just it was just terrible. I mean, the great things was that broken field try that Gutho got was fantastic. But did you notice? Did you notice how Ma- Michael Jennings, when he was he was switched to the right, and he did that flick pass to Fergo? Now that was great for Fergo because Wonga Blake can't pass left <laughs> to right, so. So, we don't score that try if Wonga Blake's on that edge at that point, right? So, Paris scored early. We came out breathing fire. It was clearly a tactic to do the mini bomb to Sean Lane. We tried it all game.
0: Yeah, he's six foot five. He's a big unit. He's yeah, correct. Seven. So, he- he's
1: exactly twice your height.
0: I'm five foot four. Mugsy Bogues.
1: You are, Mugsy Bogues. Uh, you know, and then there was the great try, and then we were up 12 0. And then from then on, we had six tries scored on us in 32 minutes. Um, he had to switch Michael Jennings and Wonga Blake Sevo got injured which scored which created a backline reshuffle Nia Kore at one point was playing on the wing it was just we just played some dumb football at times I mean it, it, it was just not smart um, and Brad Arthur came out and said that himself there were te- there were times when we gave away penalties the ref he let Melbourne lie all over the play of the ball I mean we nearly our, our average play of the ball was close to 4 seconds which is
0: that's the semis Tim that's what happens
1: we're the only team that was that slow. So Melbourne got away with a lot more than a lot of other teams get away with.
0: I've seen it the last few years, the good teams. And in a way, they've always sort of done this. The good teams dare Melbourne and the Roosters dare the refs to call them offside after every ruck or to, for slowing the play the ball down all the time. Because the referee is not going to call 30 penalties a game. And they know that and they push it. And they do, they push, right? the, they
1: push the envelope. I mean, I mean, they do it in everything, right? What about when Vunivalu had the cramp and the trainer called time off and we had the momentum? That was disgraceful. Sorry, I'm fired <laughs> up. I'm fired up this week.
0: I did. I thought, oh, my God, he's injured. What's going on? And then there's the cramp. And you know what the funny thing was? You could actually see they zoomed into some of the fans in the background and you could see the fan going, oh, my God, these guys got cramp. Like, this is crap. Like, I was said bullshit or something. Yeah, Don't you can actually started. see the fans' reaction was very similar. But
1: Melbourne slowed the ruck down, as I said. They had all the possession. They ran for 160 metres extra from kick returns, which brings me to Ryan Pappenheisen was um, brilliant on the field. He was best on ground. He
0: was just fired up that he was in my team of the year last, last week and he wasn't in yours, so he thought he'd stick it to the Eels this week. And Kenny Bromwich too. <laughs> in fact, Kenny Bromwich and uh, Pappenheisen gave you the big FU this week, Tim.
1: I'm surprised you didn't pick Cody Nikarima as your <laughs> halfback of the year. For Para, our back rollers were good. Right, Lane, Madison, and Brown—they have been all year. I think Mitchell Moses is coming back to, to to form. He rose to the occasion, but he did miss a lot of tackles, including a bad one. On I think it was I think it was Jesse Bromwich who was the tackle on. And and that led immediately to a try in the in the second half, which kind of put us to bed. Um, Dylan, Dylan Brown had a quiet night, but it was his first game Too back from expected, injury. Right? Yeah, um, but I think this exposed a lot of flaws in the eels, but I think it exposed some flaws in in the storm as well. I'm i you know thirty six twenty four is very unstorm like. Now they're going to end up playing the Raiders or the Roosters, and I think the Raiders or the Roosters will probably start favourites.
0: This was a funny game for me. I really actually enjoyed watching it. Because I thought Parrot great start. And it wasn't... I mean, great start with a try. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah. Brad Arthur.
1: What's that? Oh, yeah. Get <laughs> stuffed. Thanks,
0: Brad. That's what he said. But, you know what? We've been giving you tips about Wonga Blake for a while. <laughs> for a while. Oh, mate, I, mate. I'm a fan. I watch
1: them week in, week out. Wonga Blake has been terrible all and season.
0: It's probably an attitude thing. Because if you look at the try that Papenheisen scored, where Wonga Blake busted his gut and tried to to run him down. I
1: don't I don't think it is an attitude thing. I think no, he tries... No,
0: oh, what I mean is I think he gets picked because he's got a good attitude. Like that, he put in everything he got from the other side of the field. And if that wasn't Pappenhuysen, I reckon he would have run him... If it wasn't Pappenhuysen, would have run that guy down. It would have been an amazing tackle.
1: Well, he nearly did. He nearly did. I mean, I actually think Wonga Bla- Blake's lightning. I think he'll go well on the wing for us. But the issue is in the centres, you have to make reads. And the problem is his reads in defence are terrible. And so... He's just you just can't play him there. And the Panthers knew something, letting this guy go, right? Obviously, Stephen Crichton is a better is a better read on the football field defensively.
0: I can see why they've got Wanga Blake. Parramatta needed that. I mean, they've been dog crap out, you know, in the centres in that position for a while. They had Takarangi there for ages. They could never quite fill that position, and Wanga Blake gave him that X factor in attack that they really needed. I thought. Well, he certainly and, gave yeah, us an X factor in defence. He has done that as well. So the, the yeah. I think the hard part for the Eels is he gives you a lot in attack, but then what do you do with him? Do you
1: remember in the old Kung Fu movies? Remember the wooden man? We'd be better off having the wooden man <laughs> in our defensive line. We'd be, be, we'd be better off having the wooden man in our defensive line. It's, it was just terrible. We're going to go out in straight sets. We're playing South. South's killed us the other week. We've got half the back line out. Oh, my <laughs> Look, God. I'm done. Next no, game, I, I, I next it. game, South Smith Knights. Lee scored, I thought
0: that was fantastic, I'm sorry. But,
1: uh, oh, uh, what about here, let <laughs> me read the text message you sent me. What was the bloody text message you sent me? It's You <laughs> douchebag, what was it?
0: I actually wasn't being sarcastic, it was like they'd learn a few lessons from this game because I thought Melbourne exposed them and you thought I was giving you shit. <laughs> and I was being serious. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah I actually yeah. wasn't being sarcastic.
1: Here we go, here we go. Don't worry, good learning opportunity. My response. Learning experience for what? We have played in semis three out of the last four years and won a game last year and are in danger of going out straight sets this year. Lost the Storm in finals, sixth or seventh time in a row. Where the fuck is the learning in this? <laughs> that
0: was what I responded to you. absolutely, totally a fan's response. During the heat of the game, um... Look, for me, it was great to watch. Um, I think. I thought.
1: You didn't respond to that one. You could tell I was angry. You you didn't respond to that one. I
0: was actually kind of being serious. I thought. Because I thought Para played pretty well. I really did.
1: What have we got to learn? We keep losing to the storm. We can't get over the hump. What is the learning experience in this? He's
0: going to end up on the opposite side of the (laughs) draw. Jesus. Look, I thought Reed Marnie was sensational for Para. Just his attitude, he was involved in a lot of things They had a great start, I thought Parra came out on fire The the try to Fergo was basically Reed Marnie and Gutherson Going, you know what, there's some space out there Let's just counter-attack Which I thought was, it was just great open field counter-attacking by, by the Eels And at 12 nil, the thing is they were up 12-0 But yeah, but Melbourne were making breaks everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah so that's right that's I never right. got the impression right. that Melbourne weren't going to score
1: no, I agree. I agree. And, and it was only a matter of time, right? And it was Wonga Blake. Yeah,
0: and it was that left-hand side defence with Bromwich, Adokar, and Pappenheisen. You know what? It's the speed.
1: It's not the speed. It's not the speed. It's the, it's the holes in the fence that people go through.
0: Well, maybe Fergo has to cheat a little bit more infield because he doesn't quite have the trust of his centre. So that's a possibility. But I thought.
1: He's standing on the halfway <laughs> line. How much more is he going to cheat? I, I've got no positives to take out of this. This is a fans' reaction. I'm blowing up. I've been stewing on this game for two days. I see
0: what encapsulates Melbourne's attitude. If you look at Justin Olam's determination. Even for that try, right, he, he, he chased down Michael Jennings. Brilliant flick pass by Michael Jennings. Then Brandon Smith got in the way. And then he, he turned around and re-caught Blake Ferguson. And Fergo had to give the pass to Guther. And it was a try, but his attitude was just spot on. And if you remember, Mitchell Moses made that it break. And,
1: and you sledged him earlier in the season.
0: I did sledge him earlier in the season. But he's just sheer will and determination. Like when Moses busted through the line... And Mitch looked like he was going to run away and score, and Olam came out of nowhere from the other side of the field and brought him down and then stole the ball.
1: Oh, that's right, that's right. Well, I thought if Mitchell Moses held on to the ball, then I thought we were a good chance of scoring. And and momentum shifts.
0: Yeah, you are cutting them apart.
1: Semi-finals swing on little moments. Now, what was good for Para was we came back. We didn't. We could have turned. The, we could have turned curled our toes up and lost that game by thirty, right? And we didn't do that. We came back and we kept fighting to the end.
0: Yeah, and I think the, the this is the interesting thing about the game is that when I was watching it after that, like once Vunivalu scored, but that Vunivalu try came off a Pappenheysen, a pass from Vunivalu to and then counterattacked and ran sixty meters, and Ado Car was in the middle of the field. I did find Melbourne hunting around the ball a lot more with Pappenheysen was everywhere, and Ado Car was starting to pop up in different parts of the field, which makes Melbourne far more dangerous. But G um,
1: G. Yep. When you do a kick down the field and you're not in a straight line chasing the kick, it's broken field. And Pappenheisen went through a couple of times like that.
0: He did. I, I think there were look, there were there were flaws, but I mean, just in general throughout the game, Ado Car wasn't just stationed on his wing, you know, which I found it's a little bit of a wrinkle from Melbourne. So um, I just want to I say, thought... if the
1: Raiders and Roosters, whoever <laughs> wins that one, I hope you pump the storm by sixty points.
0: <laughs> I, I thought Brinko Lee. He must have been listening to you on the podcast the last few weeks because that was his best game of the season. He was great. Yes, he defensively wasn't that bad either. But that whole left hand side with Bromwich, Papenheiser. I know Perry. you said leave a few gaps, but they're not the type of people. They who don't want to leave, leave gaps a few or. gaps.
1: They don't four lanes of the M seven.
0: Being positive is here. closer
1: than the gaps in the defensive line. Anyway, we're moving on. That's enough for me. I'm on. going back to rational Tim again.
0: <laughs> no. And I think there was a try in the second half. There was a play with Munster for Adder, the Addo try that Melbourne ran that was eerily similar to the way they used to use Billy Slater and Josh Hoffman, um, Ryan Hoffman, sorry, where Munster came ac- across field and what happened is Pappenheisen was looping around the back and you could actually see Michael Jennings came in and went for Pappenheisen and Kenny Bromwich ran a line and the ball was a face pass through to Kenny Bromwich who went straight through the gap and Pappenheisen looped around into the gap Got the ball, quickly passed to Adokar, and I think that showed just how hard it was for Parra to defend. The funny thing is, despite all that, Tim, 27 minutes to go, and Marnie's great try with Grubber to Fergo, was 18 all, and I thought Melbourne were way on top, but Parra was still in the game. We got the right attitude, but... Yeah, definitely. From there on in, I think it was one-way traffic for Melbourne, but... You know, I think just Melbourne were too clinical when they got opportunities. And the Pappenheisen trial is what really put the game away. You know, 30-18, to Parra was still kind of in the game. But that Pappenheisen try where Junior Paulo and Campbell Gillard were kind of taking a break and walking. And Munster attacked the gap and Pappenheisen came flying out of nowhere straight through the gap and scored in the corner. And that finally put Parramatta away. But I think that shows the difference between Melbourne and Parramatta in defence. I thought Melbourne, did para when it got too fast towards the end, they started to drop off in intensity a little bit, whereas Melbourne's props never do. I don't know what it is, but they they just seem to con- constantly run with energy for 80 minutes as a team. So they don't leave holes that big. And when you do that in this game, Para got punished for it by Melbourne. But I still think para played pretty well.
1: Thank you for your condescension. And let's move on to the Souths versus the Knights.
0: But Melbourne looking good.
1: No, I don't think they are. I no, think they're okay. going to get pumped. Yeah, I think that. I think they're, they're going to get done. I think, you Hope I think... they
0: get pumped. You don't care who's playing them.
1: <laughs> I'm sick of losing to the yeah, Storm.
0: I know. I, 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 trust me, I'd be the same. I get it. Uh, I get it. All right,
1: moving on to the Sunday game. Souths versus the Knights. Souths got up 46-20. The Knights were up 14-0. Um, and then they asked Wayne Bennett after the game, what message did you send down after that 14 nil down? And he goes, at 14 nil down in the semi-final, he goes, you don't send messages down, you send prayers, <laughs> which was a great one-liner, I thought. Yeah, great one-liner. Souths then said, oh, oh, hey, hang on a second, we're losing this game, and then kicked into the gear and won the rest of the game 46-6. The Souths run these set plays that combine Adam Reynolds and Cody Walker. Walker, and it gives defenses something they don't see too often, and it's really hard to defend. the The scary thing is, I don't think South's played that well.
0: No, I thought they were actually quite ordinary for most of the game, to be honest.
1: And in the end, the golfing class shone through. Um, Ponga was terrible, and now it's been revealed he's been playing with a shoulder injury for two months, and he could, and he's probably going to be out of Origin too.
0: Explains a bit.
1: Yeah, AJ Brimson will go to fullback, um, and and that in the end was what what swung me towards. Um, James Tedesco, for my team of the year. Um, it was Damian Cook's best game of the season.
0: I think so. I do. And, I think and, and he, he, he really was great. imposed himself on the game because they need that thrust out of dummy half, and I think he really added that on the weekend.
1: And with Tavita Totola and the halves yep. of Adam Reynolds and Cody Walker, they're playing really well as well. So, so I, I didn't think there was much the Knights could take out of this. One thing I will say, if you want to know everything about the NRL this year, Souths finished 6th. And Newcastle finished 7th. And that was the game we got.
0: Good point. Because really, South were way better.
1: Way better. <laughs> like, way better. Uh, way better. And so that is the, the gulf between the top six and the rest of the comp this year. It is massive.
0: I would agree with that. I think that's um, a good point you bring up. I I thought, look for me, an interesting game only because the Knights started off 14-0 up. But once... South I suppose clicked into gear, it became very one sided. I thought the night started off on fire again, like some of these other teams. They were intense, they were speedy, and I didn't think South's hands. Well they they come out well. they
1: come out fired up, right? These teams and they they just can't maintain it for eighty minutes.
0: No, and I think um, I think the second second try of fantastic hands to put um, Fitzgibbon through the gap and then pass the Braddon best, it was a, it was a fantastic try. I think they put on a lot of pressure, and I think what sort of got South. Bra- Bradman game, best,
1: God, they miss really miss Bradman best, and he, he looked good out there. He'll be a lot better next year. He will be. He was good for his first ten
0: games this year too. Yeah, explosive, powerful, and quite fast and quick. I think the Knights were, were well on top, and not just because of the scoreline, but I think the try they gave up to Corey Allen was very soft, where he just went through Tuala and shrugged. There was him a off. lot of
1: soft tries, and
0: and. I think, I think Corey Allen's been playing really well at fullback. I agree with you. Like, he was good. But you know what, T? Like, I think what happened for me there is the Knights were well on top. And, you know, if they stayed on top and you keep that gap, Souths would probably start to panic a bit. But that Corey Allen try where nothing was happening was quite soft. Then Ponga dropped the bomb, you know, which is unusual for him. Like Well, I don't it, think
1: he's been playing well for weeks, though.
0: He hasn't. And then, like you said, Corey, Corey, Cody Walker... And Adam Reynolds combined with one of their plays and Cody Walker playing almost like a fullback looping around and before you know it South had done nothing and it was 14 12.
1: but they make it look like it's um off the cuff football but it's not it's, it's actually not. set plays they're set plays they're set plays so where Adam Reynolds and Cody Walker are combining these are all set plays they're not they're not But it looks like off the cuff but it's not it's they're actually set plays.
0: Yeah, that one definitely I agree with you. He looped around and you could see him sort of holding, and he held it back, and then Cody Walker went straight through the gap.
1: I think a lot of them are, and I don't, And the attacking coach at uh, Souths is doing a really good job because it's something people don't see.
0: The end, you know, and then Cook busts through the gap from dummy half. Mitch Barnett, you know, sort of falling asleep a little bit in the middle, and Fitzgibbon, and then he goes through, and Cameron Murray pops out of nowhere, and then if you really think about it, Souths hadn't really done much, and game over. Like, you know, they were, they were ahead without doing much. 18-14, and I think from there it was just totally one-way traffic.
1: I mean, Jason Demetriou is doing a good job there, right? I mean, I think he's the one in, in charge of the attacking and defensive structures, and Wayne Bennett's in charge of the man management. So he, he's, he gets his X's and O's quite right.
0: It, yeah, he does. I think he's done a good job there. And the funny thing is with the Mitch Barnett almost playing like a prop, you know, the tighter 13 that you mentioned. It's funny that now the game's sped up in the semis, because, you know, the intensity goes up a little bit more and the game actually is faster. And on top of that, like you mentioned earlier, you've got the, you know, six again rule. I found at times that they were struggling to keep up. Their back rowers were really struggling to keep up with the pace, Mitch Barnett and Lachlan Fitzgibbon, and it left a lot of holes for South to exploit.
1: Since Mitch Barnett was rested earlier in the season, just leading up to the semi-final time, he hasn't come back in any form, so... He's he's there's there's an example of a player that actually playing every week helps him, and as soon as you give him a break from his routine, he his his forms his forms dropped off a little bit. And
0: that does happen a little bit.
1: Well, th- well, I mean that's right, but it's all a learning experience, right? So Adam O'Brien stores that in the back of his mind. And he goes, okay, next year I don't give him a rest and I can play him through.
0: Oh, of course, there's, there's players like that all the time. You know, you got to understand how your players work, I suppose, and you figure that out like you said over time. And I think south i mean they blew them away at the back end of the second half but at 22 14 you know the knights on the scoreboard were still in the oh, game oh mate
1: no i never ever even at 14 nil down i didn't think the knights were going to win the game i just could not see you could tell that as, as soon as south's got to five out of ten they were going to beat them
0: okay no, no, interesting I, I do agree with you but i just thought you know a bit of luck here or there and you know, your belief and confidence comes back. They
1: could have been up 20-0, and I still think South would have run them down. It's not It's not like the Roosters-Penrith game, where if the Roosters go out to 16-0, I can see the Roosters grinding that result out. There was no way the Knights, the way they were playing, were going to be able to hold off the Bunnies attack.
0: Fair enough, but I think also, you know, with Totola's first try, I think that kind of summed up where the head was at. Like, he went through, again, four guys. There's four guys trying to tackle him. And David Clemmer, and this is what I'm not a fan of, the props, right? He was watching. He was watching that. Happen- yeah, it wasn't a great effort. It wasn't a great effort. Yeah, if you really want to win the semifinals, Dave, you know what? You've got to be a bit more desperate than that because that's the level that it takes. You can't watch it and then slowly move across and half, <clears throat> half-ass half stick your leg out.
1: David Clemmer's got to be... My, my view on David Clemmer is he's got to spend the off-season doing what the NBA players do, and that's add something to his game. His, his game... In the new rules, is too one-dimensional. Yes, he gets a lot of meters. Yes, he does a lot of hit-ups. Yes, he makes tackles. But but he's Aidan Tolman. He, he, if he wants to be a, if he wants to get back to playing rep footy, he needs to do other things as well.
0: He does, and I think, and that's the funny thing. I know I mentioned Tolman, but players like Tolman, these guys that the unsung sort of guys that don't stand out like Clemo, who charge at the line and but you know have three or four guys trying to tackle them he would have desperately dived to try and stop that try whereas Clemmer kind of half it. but that's what it takes to win the games and i think aaron woods is the same to be quite honest and i just think south also had a little bit too much class like you look at a couple of those the aj's tries alex johnson you know they're very he just had a slither of space down those wings and he just hit the ball like a rocket and both times scored i think if he's any other winger Newcastle's defence probably covers that up, but just... Oh,
1: Alex Johnson's been playing out of his skin. Out of his skin.
0: And it makes South, like you say, if they play well...
1: What's he got, seven tries in two games or something?
0: It makes them very hard to defend, so... But you never know sort of what South's team turns up sometimes. I mean, they lost to the Dogs where I thought they were really ordinary. Then they blow away the Roosters sixteen. Since then,
1: since then, like... They're, they're hitting form at the right time of the season, right?
0: They've, they've had a couple of games at the back end of the season we spoke about earlier where they look like they could win the comp, and then there's a couple of games where you're like, well, what the hell But other that, than the know? Dogs
1: game, if you take the Dogs game out, they've been trending up for a while.
0: They have been. It's been a pattern for most games, yes, because I think we start off with the Eels game, right? So that's going to be an interesting matchup this week.
1: I'm not that I'm going to tip against my Eels, but I think it'll be very difficult for us this weekend. All right, that brings us to the, to, to the close of segment one, which is the review of... The first week of the semi-finals. We're now moving into segment two, which is which is only two games this weekend on the Friday and Saturday night, uh, week two of the finals. The Roosters are playing Canberra first up on Friday night. The winner of this game gets to play Melbourne for a right to play in the grand final. The Roosters are $1.47 favourites. Canberra's Canberra's $2.75. This shocked me, this line. And Canberra gets six points start on sports bet. Um, this shocked me. This is a really tough game for me to call. I think they're missing a little bit of spark on the left edge where the Raiders are strongest. Now, if they win the game, the Roosters, I don't think they'll, w- they'll win it in a scoreline like the Panth- like they had against the Panthers. I don't think it'll be 28-26. I think if the Roosters win it, they need to win the game 20-12. to So if I'm Canberra, and I'm, I think if I can put four or five tries on this Roosters team, I win the game, is, is what I'm thinking. What do you think about this game?
0: I find this game a very difficult to predict, very difficult. Can-
1: Canberra's going to be motivated it was after the grand final last year, but you're right, the, the Raiders' right edge can be got at.
0: Josh Morris isn't quite the person to do it, though. I wonder if you switch Joey Manu and Josh Morris. I think Manu's more likely to tear that side apart because Morris is a bit more of a straight-line runner and a bit of, you know, accelerates S- Swapping your
1: centres defensively through. in a semi-finals is dangerous, though, right? But attacking-wise, I agree that Joey Manu's probably the better choice
0: to attack that right, that right edge of the Canberra Raiders. And Morris isn't the best passer in the world either, so it sort of hampers their attack a little bit. So it probably brings them a little bit more to the pack for Canberra. I'll go back to that game a couple of weeks ago where Canberra started off okay, but the Roosters were just too good for them, playing at their best or playing they pretty did, well. They did, that's
1: right. But the Roosters' form has deteriorated since then.
0: Well, this is the thing Like, if you go If I'm like you I go back And that, that was Sonny Bill's first game You know So maybe you should Warm up doing the burpees again And get inspired Before he goes out on the field But I, I,
1: I thought the police Asked you to stop talking About Sonny Bill publicly After the AVO
0: Oh, they've had a quiet word To me in the background It's been covered up By the unproducers producers Of the podcast So So what's happened is I just look that. I can't get that game Out of my mind Because the Roosters Were just Too good And canberra didn't play badly they just weren't up to that level but like you said i think what's worrying me now is i don't know if they've lost a tiny bit of belief or even the roosters aren't a young side too right this is the other thing they are quite experienced but they seem to have lost a little bit of form i think that south's game really shook them against penrith penrith i thought was sensational but there were elements that were a little bit unrooster like at times and canberra despite them starting off quite poorly in a lot of games, seem to be blowing teams away in the back end. So I can't pick it. I don't know if it's going to be tight. I think if it's going to be a tight one, I think Canberra will win. I think the Roosters are either going to win a little bit easily like they did at Bruce Stadium.
1: Well, I'm the other way. I'm the other way. I think if the Roosters win, they win the game in a low, lower scoring game. I, th- I, th- I don't know that the Roosters' attack has enough points in them if Canberra score four or five tries. The longer the game stays close, the more it favours the Roosters. I think if, if Canberra get an early lead and they're up 18-0, 16-0, 16-6, something like that, and the Roosters have to chase the game, I think that'll be, you know, I, th- I think that type of game favours Canberra more than the Roosters because that they're younger.
0: They are younger and there's a little bit of belief, I think, what you say as well, in that if, you know, they did lose the grand final and they competed with them, they did recently lose that other game, but if they get ahead and build a lead... You know, I think sometimes you just need that absolute belief that you can win. And I think if they have that switch, then Canberra can put them away, if that makes sense. Whereas, you know, if you're hanging in there, I think sometimes you you hope you can beat them, or you think you can, you may not fully believe you can beat them. And I think that's a slight difference. You're probably right there. I think maybe if Canberra gets a, a good start, they will genuinely believe that they can beat them and put them away. So, well, and I think
1: th- I think that's where the grand final comes in. If they get a good start and they go, guys, we're not going to let them get on top of us this time. Yeah, so there's motivation there.
0: I think you've got me o- won me over with that one. I think I agree with you there. I'm probably okay. shifting my stance. I think um, I think the Roosters are going to win. Personally, yeah, it's a hard one to pick, but Canberra's uh, scoring points, and I don't know if the Roosters have got a 30, 40 point. I don't think they do.
1: That's my point, yeah.
0: Yeah, like, you know, T, they seem to be winning the games against some of the better teams, and I know they looked unbeatable, but they were never beating anybody 40-10 to 10 or anything like that. No. It was... It was Their defence
1: was winning the game. Yeah, yeah, the Yeah, defence the Yeah, defensively,
0: they've been superb. But, uh, yeah, against the better teams, they haven't really been scoring tries that much.
1: Can, can I say, if Canberra goes out to the Roosters this week, what do you do if you're Ricky? Because you've got this Panthers juggernaut on the horizon that's going to potentially, provided they stay injury-free and the rules don't change too much, they're going to be a dominant force for a few years to come, right? Because that's a really young team. And they're only going to get more salary cap flexibility as as, what, as they stop paying Re, Re, Campbell Gillard and, and Wonga Blake and those guys, right? So, so they're going to be good for a while. And I just don't know... You know, I don't know. What does it mean for Canberra?
0: Not really sure. I think we'll probably discuss it if they lose next week. But it's it's an interesting question. Isn't John ba- John
1: Bateman's leaving?
0: Yeah. And they're not entirely young. Like Papali and Soliola, they're not Correct. 22, 23. Um, I think Bateman, is it Bateman or Whitehead that's 30?
1: They're losing. I think it's Whitehead. I think. So, yep. Yeah. Nick Kotrick's leaving?
0: Nick Kotrick's coming to us. So Rapanar's 28, 29. Croker's
1: about 30. What does that mean for you? Like, do you... That's an interesting off-season dilemma. I mean, maybe you roll, maybe you roll the dice for one more year. Maybe it's one year early, but if they don't get over the line, if they don't get to a grand final qualifier, so they go out this week after being in the grand final last year, and the team's now a couple of years older, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure what you do with that roster and what you do as a club.
0: We'll have to wait and see. But I think, I think, I think, I think, I think
1: they're in the premiership window. But given the age of their squad, given a few things that are going on and how hard it is to attract people to Canberra to mm. play, you know, that window could be narrower than other teams. Like the Panthers' window is open for the next five or six years.
0: Oh, definitely, if they keep their team together. But If they keep uh, their team together. Look, I'll tell you one thing that is different for Canberra this, this time is they've got George Williams, and George Williams is playing really well. And I think he's, he's playing really well. Quite a good player. And I think that if they win, it'll be their halves that'll win them. The game, like White and and Williams, will will have to play really well. He can't take a back seat and let Jack White and try to win the game. I think he's got to play a big part in helping to win that game as well to beat the Roosters because they're a different class. And I do think Jake Friend being back, if he's officially back, will make a massive difference. I think that'll
1: make a big difference. That that that, and maybe that's maybe that swings me to the Roosters in a tight one
0: because I want to notice last week is Mitch Orbison at dummy half, tall doesn't get the ball off the ground as quick and i think it's slowed their attack just even a fraction of a second but at this level and at that intensity that's, that's all the you need difference. that's
1: all you need i mean if you if you've already got a slower player the ball than the opposition which they had and then yeah. your service out of dummy half slow well it's it's tough right
0: so they missed him a lot but you know what i'm tipping the roosters
1: i know it's a league podcast but that's it's the same thing it's the same thing as a ruck in rugby union
0: no no the, difference
1: yeah so so when the half back's sitting at the back of that ruck he could do the George Gregan and take two steps and pass the ball, or he could do the Nick Farr Jones, which was pass it directly from the back of the ruck in one smooth motion to give your fly half an extra second to do something.
0: And that's all you need sometimes, right? That's right. So... That's right. It's it's
1: a game of it's it's a game of milliseconds.
0: It is, and I'm tipping the Roosters this week. I think I can't...
1: I think it's really too close. I, th- I think Canberra could get this, but but um, it's a very close game. All right, moving on to the Saturday night game, which is the Eels versus Souths. Souths are forty favourites. The Eels are the outsiders at $2.85. The Eels have a six-point start on sports bet, and the winner of this game goes into the grand final qualifier against the Panthers.
0: I reckon the NRL should just switch over Melbourne if Parra wins.
1: That's not funny. <laughs> That's not funny. Sorry, go. I deserve this for all the grief I gave you about the Bulldogs.
0: Oh my God, there was a lot of grief to give, but yeah, go.
1: No, that's it. Okay, so the (laughs) Eels versus Souths. (laughs) We've got a backline shuffle. We've got the Jennings brothers on our left edge now. Um, Blake Ferguson's been named. I I assume if he's out, then it becomes... um, He'll, he'll either shift Will Smith out there or he'll swap Wonga Blake or do something like that. Oh, no, nah, mate. Work. Hayes
0: Dunster, the guy with a great name, he's going to come into the team if. Really? You out. think that's, oh, that's yeah. what
1: he'll do? No, he's well, not going to give him his run. First you don't run. You think so? He's going to give him his first run in this semi. Well, who,
0: are you, who are you going to play? Or you reckon Takarangi will come into the centres and he'd move Wonga and move Wonga
1: Blake. That's what I think he'll do, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, that, that's the more conservative way to go, definitely.
1: And you're solving two problems there, aren't you? Yeah, by moving one oh, of the Blake c- out to the wing. I
0: knew you were going to say that.
1: Um, look. you know what? I look at this forward pack, and I think we can get over. If we're going to win this game, we're going to win it in the forwards. If we can get over the top of the bunnies forwards, then we're a chance of winning this game because we're not because Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds is not going to have the space to play that they have been having the last few weeks, and. You know, my worry, though, is when Souths pumped us last time, they pumped us by going around that right edge, which was diabolical against the Storm last week. So uh, I, I just wonder with the personnel changes, I wonder if that's... I just wonder if for week's long enough for them to fix the problems.
0: I don't think so. And I think that this... Look, I like Para. I think they have to come out the same way they did against Melbourne and attack the Bunnies. I don't know if going conservative suits them. But I think they've also got to be very careful about running out of petrol to some degree. I think maybe against Melbourne, and this might have been just the speed of the actual game itself. I felt like Parra ran out a bit of gas for a while. And whilst they were, I guess, recuperating to, for want of a better term, I thought Melbourne put them away in that period. And then towards so the end, so they finished strongly again, which is... Well, sort of I agree with that, then. but I think
1: it was emotional. I think they came out fired up after all the criticism and everything like that. So I think it was a mental fatigue rather than a physical fatigue. Uh,
0: yeah, like just something... I, I felt they hit a low for a while, and then... I disagree
1: like, with you. I think they need to come out a bit more consistent in this game. They, they can't ride this high energy, low energy, high energy, low energy. They need to play at a really high, consistent level. Keep Souths under pressure. Kick to the corners. Do the things right, but just get over the top of them in the forwards. Get field position and territory and then let Mitchell Moses do his thing. And I think if you play, if we have a game like that, we can win this game.
0: Like you said, I think that's a good point. You probably um, put that a little bit better than that. They need to have a consistent emotion through the game. And I think they are an emotional side to some degree. That's what drives them. That's what I meant by the little bit of the hot and cold. They're, they're fiery. They're passionate. You know, and I know a lot of players are, but I think Parrot as a team are a bit like that. And I think... But what I saw against the Storm was... Para was playing for a lot of the game with a lot of speed and playing at a really fast tempo at times, right? I don't know if I've seen Souths play at that tempo. They can play fast, but I don't know as a team. They're probably a bit more consistently solid, but I feel like para has got a gear of, a tempo gear that they can play at that Souths don't quite have. That's my gut feel watching them step up the speed. And I don't know if Souths can go with them. The, the issue is, can they do that for a lot of the game? And I'm not sure if Para can do that.
1: The thing about this game that I was thinking about, I don't think either team is ever safe. So if Souths are up 20 to 6, or if Para's up 24 to 10, the game's not gone, depending obviously on how mm-hmm. long there is to go. But both these teams can put a lot of points on in a very short period of time if they get momentum. Yes. So... I think the game will be in the balance for a long time. is is my sense of this game, or what happened last time happens and South just is just on top from the beginning. And they're the two ways I can see the game going.
0: I think the hard part for you for your team this week is that, like you mentioned, the right hand side defence, but that's where South's strength is. Correct. With Alex Johnson on the wing, he, he provides the same matchup issue that you had with Oka, and you've got these
1: different players though. Oka Oka, but it's yeah. the
0: acceleration that. You know what, T, if you, even if you give them a little bit of space, they still go through the gap. But
1: this know? is where I think Wonga Blake might actually be the solution if Blake Ferguson's out. He's actually really quick. He doesn't have to make, he just needs to stay out on his winger in terms of the defensive read. And Brad Takarangi's a better defender. So it might solve, like, if Blake Ferguson's out, it actually might help the matchup. Robert Jennings and Michael Jennings on the other side's a bit of a problem as well, though I don't think Mike Casivo's been playing that well. So. So, look, it could, be a, it could be a blessing in disguise, but I can't get away from the fact that we need to dominate in the forwards.
0: I think the game's going to be won on that right edge when, when South Because they target a lot of their attack towards Alex Johnson, and I think he gives them... I always say that acceleration where even if they create a little bit of uncertainty in the defence, he can take advantage of it. He doesn't get tackled often. He's close to the line. He generally will finish if you give him that space. So I think that's really important that Para shuts that down. As however they do it, Wanga Blake moving to the wing might actually help that. And I think the other thing to watch out for is Para Is I do think their forwards Buster Gart and they try, but Campbell Gillard and Junior Paulo, I thought at times, you know, like I said, ran out a little bit. Whether it's their emotional energy they expended. Well, well, Regan Campbell
1: Gillard that. only played forty six minutes, so I don't know what the hell happened. I thought his forty six minutes was good, but he but he didn't he didn't. He normally, he's a 59, 55-minute player. so
0: It's possible, but Damian Cook seems to be starting to run more, and you've got Cameron Murray always floating around that middle of the field looking for I like plays. Cam Murray.
1: I think he's a good player.
0: I think that's a real watch out for for para as well, is Damian Cook and Cameron Murray combination through the middle, and really shutting down um, Alex Johnson's wing, because I think when Cody Walker's floating around the field, yes, he can create danger, but I think when he's got that option to where he's got Johnson available and then the, the team's got to make sure that Johnson's covered that allows him to float around a little bit more and create a bit more space so I think if they can solve that issue with Alex Johnson and they have a very tight ruck defense for Cameron Murray and Damian Cook I reckon they'll beat Souths I think they, they're the two because Dane Gagai isn't quite as explosive as he was before he's agile on his feet but he doesn't really burst through the, the gaps as much as he used to and Jackson Paulo they're good finishers T and Campbell Graham, but they're not speed merchants.
1: I like Campbell Graham. I think no, he's a Campbell decent Graham player. Campbell
0: Graham is a great finisher. Good hands. I, I don't. I don't. I
1: don't. I've got to be honest with you. I don't think Dane Gagai is a great center. I think he's a better winger.
0: No, and you know, and I think the advantage Para has is that if South makes a break, they don't have Pappenheisen that that Para can't run down. And Para's cover defense all year has been pretty good. It's been excellent. So I don't know if South presents the same danger. But they've got to solve that Alex Johnson issue because you give him a couple of a bit of space near the line and it's two tries, and then that allows Cody Walker to run rampant. So I think they've tightened up. They watch Cook and Murray. They sort out Alex Johnson, and I actually don't think South has the firepower other than Walker to really trouble Para's cover defence. So are you take. tipping Para? You know what? I'm going to tip Para. Yeah, I actually think Para will learn from last week's game.
1: I hope you're right. I'm. I can't, I can't handle going out in straight sets, so I hope you're right.
0: And I think Dylan Brown, he'll be, he'll be
1: better for the run. He'll be better he'll for be the run. Better
0: for the run, and I'm kind of expecting him to step up. I, li- I like, him. I think he's a really good player.
1: I think he's a good player too. And I think, and I will say that, um, I think the long-term halfback at Parramatta will actually be Brad Arthur's son.
0: Brad Arthur. Oh, so he's got you got another Nathan Cleary on your hands, do you? We,
1: we, we've got, we've got. Uh, I think it's Jake, Jake Arthur he's playing under 20s this year or he was meant to play under 20s this year before the comp got cancelled i think i think they've got him penciled in and he's a patrician brothers fairfield boy i believe yep. um so rugby league nursery and went to school and, and he's been tearing it up in schoolboy boy league so i think that's potentially the long-term halfback there
0: i didn't haven't heard of him but that looks like he probably will be the case but yeah i look I, I think there's a couple of puzzles to solve but i'm i think para will do it this week i really do I, I just okay, think that you're right. last week there was elements where they really matched Melbourne and Melbourne is a tempo team. They just play so fast and Parra went with them for a while. And I don't know if Souths can do that.
1: Okay, well, I hope you're right. All right, that brings us to a close of this week's podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. Another wonderful week in the world of rugby league. We've got two games this weekend. We're getting closer to the business end of the season.
0: We are. Should we do, should we do a top five of Parra losses to Melbourne in the semifinals? See you, everybody. Have a good week. I will see you next week too. Can we can we
1: do it can we do a top five of the Bulldog's wooden spoons?
0: We're getting up there. I think, <laughs> I think we're at four.
1: I'll tell you what, is a thankless task being an eel supporter. let me tell you. It is nothing but heartbreak. My, my, my you know you don't you don't want to introduce you don't want to introduce your family to
0: it. No, do you know what? I think the this is the funny thing, is, is Parro's constantly keeping the flame of hope alive. Whereas being a Bulldog fan, we've had a bit of success for a while, but you know what? We've just been crap for a few years now, and it's frustrating, but you can kind of live with it, right? There's, there's no false expectations. It's like Paris, oh, mate, they they play with your emotions. It's been a while.
1: Yeah, they certainly do. All right, that brings us to a close this week. Thanks for joining us. Another wonderful week in the world of rugby league. Take care and see
0: you next week. See you, G. See you next week, T. Good luck. Bye. Thank you. Bye.